0: Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. You honor us by finding us and listening in. We pray this sermon stirs up your love for Jesus and grows you in your faith. But before we begin, we ask that you not let this podcast, or any podcast for that matter, replace the local church in your life. You need to be a member of a local congregation and under the shepherding of that flock's pastor. So please become part of a local church if you aren't currently. If you'd like more information about our church, please go to www.MtZionChula.org. Enjoy our podcast. Um, Open your Bibles to John chapter 1. In John chapter one this morning. If you uh, don't have a Bible with you, there should be one in your pew rack. Um, if you don't own a Bible, let me know. I want to get you one before you head home today. Um, I want to introduce you to somebody this morning. Um, depending who you are, you may or may not know him. It would it wouldn't be unheard of, even in South Georgia, for you to have never heard of this guy. You may have heard of him years ago, but it's been a while. Or maybe you know him, but you've been really distant from him for a long time. I hope today is the day you get reacquainted with him. I want to introduce you to the most important person in my life. There are a few words in the English language to describe how beautiful he is. Um, He is infinitely good. Royce, you can set this here by the pew, thank you, or the pulpit. Um, He is infinitely good. He is pure and compassionate. He is the very essence of kindness and love. No one has ever walked the planet that comes close to rivaling how marvelous of a person he is. I want to introduce you to Jesus of Nazareth. Depending on your background, you may have many different perceptions of Jesus. You may know very little about him. Maybe for you, Jesus represents the rigid rules of your childhood. He's always breathing down your neck about your drinking and, your, and, and what you do in the bedroom. He's overbearing and always telling you how to live your life and being super hard on you, never encouraging you, always finding fault in you, and you think it's his job just to make you feel bad about yourself. And so because of that, you want very little to do with him. You see Jesus as bondage, as zapping all the fun out of life. Maybe for you, Jesus is an icon of Republican politics, And depending who you are, that could be a good thing or a bad thing. It could be a good thing in your mind, so you misplace him and you make him a symbol of American patriotism rather than what he actually is, much greater than that. Or maybe it's a bad thing that causes you to um, just stay far away from him because any thought of Jesus brings to mind your disgust about Donald Trump. Maybe for you, Jesus is less of a person and more of an idea. He's an example for us to strive toward. He's a great idea of philosophy. Maybe for you, Jesus is an icon of a church that would never receive you. You're too broken or sinful for Jesus in your mind. You've been told that your whole life, either by religious people or by lies that you tell yourself that Jesus wouldn't want you. So you don't come near him. Because you, can't, you can imagine he probably can't stand the sight of you. But the fact is, all those versions of Jesus are not real they're all false that's not who he is he's something much greater and much more worthy of praise than that so this morning i want you to forget every negative preconceived notion you have of jesus and let me introduce you to the real jesus we'll do that we're going to be a fly on the wall seeing five of his disciples meet him in john chapter one so john one i'm going to start in verse 35 we're going to read through the end of the chapter The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was standing, and they, where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, your name is Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found the one that who Moses in the law wrote about and also the prophets, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see." And Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God and you are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered him, Because I said to you I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So, five disciples that meet Jesus. He had 12, as you know. This is the time when five of them meet him um, and, and we get to see their encounter. And each one of them has a different encounter with him. And so, the first two. Um, the two disciples that are with John the Baptist. Understand, John the Baptist is not the one who wrote John. That was John the disciple. Probably this is Andrew and John himself. Um, we, we know that because many times in the Gospel of John, um, John never mentions himself by name. He, he always just talks about a random disciple being with the group. And so he'll say, you know, these disciples that went with Jesus were Peter and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Matthew and then one other guy. He always does that. He always just kind of doesn't name himself. And so probably here, this is Andrew and John. And they've heard the preaching of John the Baptist. John the Baptist, as you know, was a um, kind of wild guy that preached out in the wilderness, ate bugs and uh, you know, did all this crazy stuff in the wilderness. And um, he's been his whole time pointing ahead to somebody else who was coming. Somebody was coming that was going to be greater than him. And on this particular day, Jesus passes by them, and John says, that's him. Hey, 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 guys, look, that's him. That, that's the guy. That's the Lamb of God. That's the one I've been telling you about. Go, go to him. And they go. And John, John is not upset to see them leave. He's not upset that, you know, they left his church and went to Jesus' church. He, he's, that's his purpose. His purpose is to point people to Jesus and to send them to him. So they come up to Jesus. They approach him in verse um, 38. They, they approach Jesus, and they ask him, where, where are you staying? And what does Jesus say? He says, come, and you will see. Come and see. You know, in my life, I've had a lot of discussions with, um, with both nonbelievers and with people of other religions. Um, especially in college, I interacted with a lot of people of different faiths or that just didn't have faith at all. And um, so many of them would, uh, they had a lot of questions, and they, they would ask those questions when I would talk with them. Why did God command Israel to kill entire groups of people in the Old Testament? Why does God allow suffering? Why does God, if he's good, why is cancer and COVID a thing? Why, why is that? Why, why have Christians been responsible for so, many, so much evil in the world, like the Crusades, and like how a lot of Christians owned slaves in the 1800s? Why are Christians so hypocritical? They would ask questions like this, and, um, and oftentimes I got a sense that they weren't really looking for an answer. They were looking to discredit my view. And, and I would always tell them, look, we, we can certainly answer those questions. There's answers for those questions. I can give them to you. But are the answers for that really going to bring you to faith? Is it really going to convince you? Or will you just have one more question that you'll lob at me? I would just tell them, hey, come check out Jesus. Come see who Jesus is. You c- come see him. Put the questions aside for a second. Come look at Jesus, and he can withstand any scrutiny you bring to him. And you may be here this morning and have a lot of false notions about who Jesus is. You only have those notions because somebody told you that's who Jesus is. Have you ever actually come to see who he is for yourself? John here, the book of John, there's three books before it, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Um, All four of these are written by Jesus' closest followers, or in the case Matthew and John, written by two of his disciples, Mark was something like an an apprentice to Peter, so he got his story from Peter, and then Luke kind of went around and conducted interviews and got it all together and wrote his story of Jesus, written by eyewitnesses. And, and, and they tell who Jesus was from different perspectives. Why, why don't you just check him out in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? That he, he will silence your preconceived notions about him. Come see who he is. Come and see, he tells them. He's the most fascinating person you will ever encounter. And you'll end up finding that he is not who you have always been led to believe he is. He is wonderful in every way imaginable. Our journey with Jesus starts with us coming to see who Jesus is. For some of us, it takes one Sunday of hearing about him in church. For some of us, it takes reading the New Testament and uh, seeing who he is. For some of us, it takes years before we come to terms with who he is. But if you come and see Jesus, you will not be disappointed. He says later in John, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. You need to come and see Jesus. I would say that even if you already know him, if if you're already a follower of Jesus, you need to come see him again. Because we often have such a small view of him, such a small view. How often are we bored with him? How could you be bored with an infinitely awesome uh, person that that exists, that you are the very person, you you exist to, to worship him. That's why you're here. How often are we so bored with him in that? How often are we fascinated with a completely different Jesus than the Jesus of the Bible? How often are we more fascinated with something on this earth that is far less glorious? Come see who he is again. That's what Andrew and John do. And they spend the rest of the day with him. And they continue sitting there talking with him, learning from him. But Andrew, um, we come to the next disciple. Andrew runs and finds his brother Simon. Verse 40 through 42, he comes and finds his brother Simon, and he he finds him. Watch out for that word as we work through this passage, find or found, pops up a lot. In fact, in the Gospel of John, that word pops up a lot. If you ever read the book, just watch for the word find or found. There's a lot of finding that happens in this book. And he tells Simon, we found the Messiah. We found him. It's the one the Jews have been waiting for understand just a little bit of Jewish history. Um, The Jews had had their own little kingdom. They had had their king that they'd put on the throne. That was David and Solomon and Josiah and all those other guys. They had this kingdom, but they were invaded by the Babylonians. They were taken away. Their kingdom was destroyed, and they were in exile in Babylon for 70 years. Finally, they got out. They got to go back, but they did not get to set their monarchy back up. They did not get to reestablish a king on the throne. And so they hoped that the Roman Empire had taken over at this point. And the Roman Empire ruled the world. And so they hoped that a person predicted in the Old Testament would come named the Messiah, and he would come and, in their mind, defeat the Roman Empire and give them their kingdom back. They were way wrong on that, on what the Messiah was going to do, but that's who they're picturing here. We found him. He's here. He's here. Andrew tells Simon that. All their hopes that they'd been hoping for was here. He was going to bring God's kingdom on earth. He's here. He tells Simon, what is he, 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 it doesn't say that he tells him this, but what's he do? He brings Simon to Jesus. I can imagine he said, hey, come and see him. Again, that phrase, come and see. Um, I can imagine he said such a thing. So Andrew brings Peter, brings Simon, he's not Peter yet, he brings Simon to Jesus, and I can imagine Simon on the way, um, maybe he's not really sure about this, maybe he's, maybe he's okay, I, I want to go check this guy out and see who he is, but maybe... You know, maybe he was just at work, and he's got a lot to get done today, and what is my brother doing wasting my time? Maybe he's got that going through his head, because remember, they're fishermen, so Peter is used to Andrew telling fish stories. He's he's heard a lot of them. So maybe there's something to this raving that his brother is doing. Maybe not. Maybe I'm wasting good daylight hours that I could be using to clean my nets and bring fish home to feed my family. So they arrive at Jesus. Jesus. And it says, Jesus looked at him, verse 42. Jesus looked at him. We don't know much about Peter's backstory. Um, probably safe to assume he was a pretty typical blue-collar man. Um, he Later in the Gospels, um, Peter likes to run his mouth. He likes to be the first one to speak. Um, some have called him the disciple with a foot-shaped mouth because he's constantly having to put his foot in his mouth. Um, at one point, he, he's so um, he's so gung ho about it that he um, pulls a knife out and cuts a guy's ear off. Um, that, that's how crazy this guy is. He's pretty headstrong. This guy is not a neat, tidy, calm, collected churchgoer. He's a rugged redneck. So Jesus sees him, this rugged man, and he looks at him. He doesn't look away. He doesn't look away. We tend to, you know, certain people that we, you know, don't really find you know, worthy in our minds, we we tend to look away from them, don't we? He doesn't do that. He looks at him. He doesn't look away from Peter because he doesn't fit some mold that maybe the society's created. He sees Peter, and he looks at him, and he renames him. He renames him. He gives him a new name. Your name is Simon, verse 42, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. God does this many times in the Bible. He renames Abram to Abraham. He renames Jacob to Israel. He does it a lot. He does it here. Interesting, the word Cephas in Peter means rock. It means rock. If we know the life of Peter, if we know what's going to come after this, Peter's anything but a rock. He's anything but a rock. He crumbles time and time again. A better name for him would be gravel. He's just the little pieces of rock that you rub your feet on as you walk. About the only rock Peter is is how hard-headed he is. But after Jesus rises from the dead three years later and ascends to heaven, Peter will be the rock. He will be the leader of the disciples to begin the missionary work in the world to take the name of Jesus to the world. He will be that guy. When Peter's name that Jesus gives him does not represent who he is on that day, it represents who he's going to become. He's, it does not represent who he is this very moment. It represents who Jesus is going to make him into. When we meet Jesus, we change. Maybe you have thought Jesus expects you to clean yourself up, and then you can come to him. Wrong. Come to Jesus as you are. However, you won't stay that way. Come to Jesus as you are and change forever. Jesus gives us a new name. Sometimes... That new name is not who we will become immediately, but who he's going to make us into. What was your name before you met Jesus? Or what is your name now if you don't know him? Was it addicted? Depressed? Drunk? Unworthy? Promiscuous? Filthy? C- confused? Destitute? What, what what was your name? I had a number of names before I met Jesus. And probably the crown of them would be self-righteous. I was a Chronic goody two shoes, and I looked down on everybody that didn't measure up to my standard of good. I was uptight, I was outcast, I was empty, always seeking satisfaction and other things that were never going to satisfy me. What name does Jesus give us? If those are our names, what does He give us? Well, we could just take the name that we used to have and make it the opposite. So if you are promiscuous, Jesus made you pure. If you're addicted, he makes you free. If you're depressed, he makes you joyful. The trouble with that is though, you don't always immediately or ever for that matter, become the opposite of who you were. If before Jesus, you were, your name was drunk, you don't necessarily just give up the bottle when you come to Jesus immediately. If before Jesus, your name was, um, was unworthy, you won't, always, you won't necessarily all of a sudden feel worthy the minute you come to him, if before Jesus your name was depressed, you won't necessarily never be sad again. Now, my my, my hero in ministry, Charles Spurgeon, one, maybe the greatest preacher in history outside of the Bible, um, struggled with depression his entire life, never overcame it, never overcame it, because Christians still get depressed. So what's the name that Jesus gives us? We could argue several Things in the Bible, I'm going to jump over to Revelation 14. Hold your spot in John, turn to Revelation 14. Revelation 14, verse 1. Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb. And with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. In the book of Revelation, the 144,000 are a Um, symbol for all of those who follow Jesus, all of those who are his. Um, That's who they are. It's a symbol the same way a lamb. Jesus is not literally a lamb. The the lamb there is a picture of Jesus. And so um, the 144,000, those who know Jesus, have his name on their foreheads and his father's name on their foreheads. It's also meant to contrast against chapter 13, verses 16 through 18. Understand when John wrote Revelation, he didn't put chapters and verses in here. We did that much later, so he's just continuing his thought here. Verse 16, It ca- the beast causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slaves, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast and the number of his name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man and his number is 666. Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name, and his father's name written on their foreheads. It's meant to contrast there. This is not about the COVID vaccine or the microchip or the credit card. It's saying those who follow the beast have his name on their forehead. Those who follow the lamb have his name and God's name on their forehead. He gives them a name. It's kind of like when you go to a get together and you, you get a drink and you pull out a Sharpie and you write your name on your cup so that you know, the other guy across the table doesn't grab it, and you know, take a swig of your drink and get all this backwash in there. You know, you know, you do that at, at get-togethers. You do that to show this is mine. This is my cup. Don't touch it. Jesus writes His name and His Father's name on our foreheads when we come to Him to take ownership of us, to take ownership of us. Whoever's name is on your forehead, spiritually speaking, owns you. So what name do you have? It's not necessarily a name you would be called, like Bill or Stephanie. If you're a Christian, you have Jesus' name on your forehead. You're his. You, he, he owns you. Depression and alcohol and pornography and, and nothing else owns you. You belong to Jesus. You're his. The name Peter gets, interestingly enough, is Rock which is just an extension of who Jesus is. He's the the solid rock. He's the rock of ages. He's the one that Peter's going to build his life on. That's what happens when you meet Jesus. He takes ownership of you, and he's on watch and guard for you. He works to do everything for your good, even the hard stuff. So the next disciple, Philip. Philip. You can jump back to John 1 now if you're not there. Verse 43 and 44. Philip. Notice, Jesus went to Galilee, and he found Philip. There's that word again, found. He's finding a lot of people here. So, Lieutenant Dan asked Forrest Gump, have you found Jesus yet? And Forrest perked up and said, I didn't know I was supposed to be looking for him, sir. Understand something very crucial. You don't find Jesus, Jesus finds you. you weren't, he wasn't lost, you were. That's how Scripture describes it. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The the Son of Man's like a shepherd that had a hundred sheep, and one of them went astray. And so he went and left the 99 and went after the one and brought them back. He always goes to seek us out first. And each of us were lost in our sins, dead in our trespasses. Maybe we still are. We're, We're born that way, Scripture says. We're enemies of God from our mother's womb, living in direct opposition to him. And Jesus burst on the scene to rescue you. You would have had no hope without Him coming to find you. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you've never come to Jesus, or maybe you were close to Jesus a long time ago. Maybe when you were ten, uh, but you've been distant for a while. Have you considered this morning that maybe He's coming to find you right now? Right, right now. Maybe He divinely orchestrated your week so that you had so that you heard about today and you came. That he could use some guy you've never met to find you this morning and now he's standing before you saying follow me are you going to drop what you're doing and follow him your only hope and what should be your greatest joy is this you were lost and jesus found you he didn't cast you off he didn't say well there's no hope for this moron No, he came seeking us out while we were still sinners. He showed his great love for us by literally coming on a rescue mission for his enemies. What character in all of literature is more noble than him? Marvel has never made a superhero more heroic than this man. What philosopher is more wise than him? What public official gains more respect than him? There's no one like Jesus. No one. Final disciple, Nathaniel. Nathaniel. Basically, the rest of the chapter forty-five through fifty-one. Nathaniel. What, what does Philip do? There's that word again. He finds Nathaniel again. A lot of finding happening in this chapter. Um, he finds Nathaniel, and he tells him, "Hey, we found the one that Moses and the prophets wrote about." He's he's saying, "Hey, we've been reading the Old Testament our whole life. It was their Bible. Um, the one that that one's constantly talking about. He's here. Like we, I think we found him." And Nathanael is not really as exuberant as Philip is, and he says, well, Philip tells him it's Jesus of Nazareth, and Nathanael, verse 46, says, Nazareth? Can, can anything good come from Nazareth? It's just a little redneck village. It'd be like saying, can anything good come from Chula? Like, it'd be like the president of the United States coming from Chula. We'd be like, what? Like, like." This is just a small town in the middle of nowhere. We got a Dollar General about three years ago. We're on the map now. Um, If you drive north on I-75 from Tifton to Chula, which some of you maybe did this morning, you'll see a sign that says, Chula, next three exits. That's a little inflating, the numbers. I'm just going to say that. But um, so Nathaniel asked, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And what does Philip say? Well, that phrase again, come and see, I've Seen it all over the place. Come and see, come and see. So they go to Jesus and Nathaniel approaches Jesus quite skeptical. He approaches him and he's not really sure about this guy. And Jesus recognizes that skepticism. And what does he say? He said, there's an Israel right, an Israelite right here that there is no deceit in him. Why does he say that? because he's real. He's skeptical of Jesus, and Jesus applauds that. You, what you see is what you get with Nathaniel. Nathaniel's not holding anything back. He's not pretending like, to like Jesus, but he's actually not real sure about him. He's honest and real, and Jesus commends him for that. He commends him. Even though he's skeptical, Jesus doesn't shame him for being skeptical. He doesn't tell him to, you know, hey, I'm the son of God. Show me some respect. No, he doesn't do that. He just commends Nathaniel for being real. Thank you, Nathaniel, for being real. Be real with Jesus. He knows who you are. It's what people do at church a lot. They put on a fake face and act like everything's going well in their life. Um, Life is horrible, but they tell you at church that, you know, they're blessed beyond measure. Understand what happens when you do that. You don't, if you do that, you don't allow others to um, come into your life and help you, and you never find healing when you put on a face like everything's going great at church. So be real with Jesus. He wants people to be genuine, even if that genuineness is disbelief, like Nathaniel. So Nathaniel asked, how do you know me? How do you know who I am? And Jesus gives him a pretty simple response that's quite shocking how simple it is. Well, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. That's it? I saw you under the fig tree. You were hanging out under a tree, and I saw you. That's how I know you. Seems pretty simple, but um, two things here. First of all, um, probably a moment when Nathaniel was completely alone. Um, yet Jesus knew He was there. Perhaps He was praying to God and having a real heart-to-heart with Him. And Jesus is telling you, "I heard you. I heard you." But secondly, um, in Zechariah three ten in the Old Testament, it said that in the last days, when when it was time for the Messiah to come in the last days, people would invite each other under their fig tree. It's it's here. He's really who Philip said He is. Like like I remember that in the Old Testament. Um, he's here. He saw me. And what does is, what is Nathanael say? He says, you're, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. Each disciple in this passage, um, when they meet Jesus, they make some kind of proclamation about him. John the Baptist calls him the lamb of God. He's going to take away the sins of the world. Um, Andrew and John call him rabbi because he can teach them all things. Andrew, when he talks to um, Peter calls him the Messiah. He's the long-awaited Savior. Um, Philip calls him the one that the Old Testament spoke about because he's the fulfillment of all of it. And now Nathaniel makes maybe the biggest proclamation of all. He's the Son of God and the King of Israel. He's the King of heaven and the King of earth. This man in front of them, this Jesus I'm introducing you to, is the King of heaven. He has ruled heaven long since before time began. And he's the King of earth. All rulers and authorities will bow down to him. There's no authority greater than his. He is a kind, compassionate king come to rule in love and joy. And he's the savior everyone's been waiting for. He's the savior America cries for every election season. And they've yet to get because the Messiah already came from Nazareth. And, and Jesus tells, tells Nathanael, that's all it took for you? Well, let me just tell you, you're going to see greater things than this. What's he tell him? You're going to see heaven opened and the angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man, referring to himself. Nathaniel's going to see greater things than this. It's referring back to Genesis 28. Um, Jacob has a dream. In that dream, he sees a ladder going up to heaven and angels flying up and down that ladder. Angels going up and down it. Uh, it's, it's, it's a ladder up into heaven, back into God's presence. And what does Jesus say? I'm the ladder. I'm the ladder. The way back to God has come. It's come. The world is broken. I think you know that. I think you know this world's broken. And it didn't start with COVID, and it didn't start with the death of George Floyd, it didn't start with the 2020 election or the 2016 election or the 2008 election, it didn't start with 9-11, it didn't start with World War II or the Civil War or Columbus arriving at the New World. No, it's been broken since sin entered the world long ago through our great-grandparents, Adam and Eve. And we've all followed suit ever since. And since we've all sinned, we cannot have access back to God. And therefore, we can't live the lives we were created to live for God's glory. So what hope is there? What hope is there for us? God sent the ladder. That's what hope there is. He sent the ladder down. And here he is. In Jacob's dream, those angels were ascending and descending the ladder. Here it's ascending and descending the Son of Man, which is Jesus. Jesus. He's the ladder back to God. And the point of John 1, go back and read the whole chapter later. The point of John 1 is this, God is here. God has become a man and he's come, no question about it. He's the son of man, as he says there. That's referring back to Daniel 7, where um, a, a being called the son of man comes to God and receives all authority over the entire world. He gets to rule the nations. That is who Jesus is, and he is here. Nathaniel is amazed. So now the time's yours. These five disciples have encountered Jesus in their own way. Jesus wants the same kind of encounter with you. Some of you came in here today with preconceived notions about who Jesus is that are completely false. And the Bible wants you to throw those notions out the window and make you see the truth. Jesus is the most wonderful person in all of existence. And he wants you to know him in his fullness. What has become one of my favorite passages of scripture lately which we're about to sing a song based on is Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30 come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light does that sound like the Jesus you've always known about gentle and lowly Seeking to give you rest, a light load to carry, not a heavy load? Have you ever imagined a Jesus like this? This is who scripture says he is. What can you do but come? Come to him. Come and see. Come and see his glory. Come and see his goodness. Come see his beauty, his compassion, his love. Come and receive him. And John 1 and 12, back a few verses, says what happens when that happens to all who did receive him who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We're not born children of God. We have to be adopted into his family and that happens through receiving Jesus. There's no hope for you apart from him. None. If you don't believe me, why don't you just come and see? Let's pray. Father, what a Beautiful Savior, what a wonderful King. Lord Jesus, draws us to awe and wonder. Fix our eyes on him, draw us to himself, whether we have never met him before or whether we've known him for decades, Lord. May we be drawn afresh to Jesus, and may we come to him and find rest for our souls and find life in his name. Be with us now as we sing, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Your sheet of paper with His mercy is more flipped to the other side. The song we're going to sing to close is on the other side. And just a quick, quick announcement about the way this is going to read. Um, when you get down to that third verse, it says 3A and then 3B. What's going to happen is we'll sing 3A, and then we'll go right back and do that 3B. So it'll go from his kindness and then into trust in Jesus, and then we'll do the chorus again. So it might get a little confusing. Just kind of try and hang on, and we'll get through it together. But y'all stand as we sing, come to Jesus, rest in him.